Hello, listeners. Welcome to Season 5 of The Cozy Corner with Alexia Gordon, part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. I'm Alexia Gordon, award-winning author and host of the show. Every other Thursday, I chat with an author writing on the not-so-gritty end of the crime fiction spectrum. If you prefer your mystery without hardcore sex and violence, join us in The Cozy Corner. Welcome. Welcome to another episode of The Cozy Corner with Alexia Gordon. I'm Alexia Gordon, author and host of the podcast. Gigi Pondian, author of The Accidental Alchemist and Jaya Jones series, joins me in the corner today to chat about the first book in her new Secret Secret Staircase series under Lock and Skeleton Key. Welcome back, Gigi. Thank you so much for inviting me today, Alexia. It's so great to chat with you. The launch of a new series is always exciting. So would you introduce us to your sleuth, Tempest Raj, and tell us a bit about what she's up to in Under Lock and Skeleton Key? Yes. So Tempest is a character that um, her origin story is so interesting to me because I, she originally appeared as a very, very side character in my Jaya Jones series. Um, And she was just mentioned as a stage magician friend of Sanjay. And she was just a little throwaway character, like little plot device type of thing. But I I like the idea of her. And so I wrote a locked room mystery short story with her. And after I wrote that story with her, this was about 10 years ago now. Um, Yeah, almost 10 years ago now that I wrote this short story. She wouldn't stay out of my head. And so I really wanted to do something else with her, but I didn't know what. And so six years ago, I started writing a um, a book that I wanted to do something bigger with her. And she is a stage magician. So her, her uh, sleuthing skill is seeing through misdirection because she creates misdirection for a living. And so in Under Lock and Skeleton Key, her stage double is found dead inside a wall that has been sealed for a whole century. So how did her stage double end up inside that wall? And was it meant to be her and um, unraveling the the misdirection of this impossible crime here? But um, this is the first full-on locked room mystery novel that I've written. And so I've done lots of short stories. And I also have one of my novels that has a Locked Room Mystery as a side plot in there. But so really figuring out Tempest's story took me a long time to figure out how I wanted to bring her more to life in a full novel and my first uh, full-length uh, Locked Room Mystery where that's the central element. Uh, as you said, this is a Locked Room Mystery and it's lock and, under Lock and Skeleton Key has actually been described as an ode to classic Locked Room Mysteries. Uh, so first of all, what is a Locked Room Mystery and how does that differ from uh, the type that I was talking about with actually Katrina McPherson uh, a little while mm. ago, a closed mm-hmm. circle mystery? And, and yes. she, she gave you credit for setting her straight on that, by the way. <laughs> no, and it is so, it, there's so much overlap in these terms. And so 
And they're both such uh, classic mystery fiction uh, subgenres. And so a locked-room mystery, as it's meant in the traditional sense, is really an impossible crime. And it's also uh, known as a miracle problem because it's basically something that is, it's the ultimate puzzle. So it's not just um, how something was done, but it looks like it it's not not even possible for anyone to have done it. It looks like there really does have to be a supernatural explanation to it. And so it can be the, the classic explanation of it is that you're in a, that someone is in a locked room that is sealed. There's no way in or out yet. The person is found dead from a gunshot wound and there's no gun in there. So it, you know, it actually seems impossible, but it can be something like, someone on an isolated uh in the in the snow that there hasn't been any snow that is falling but there's no footprints and so how did this person get here in the middle of the snow so it doesn't actually have to be a locked room and so it overlaps but is not the same thing as a closed circle mystery which is when everyone is in like an isolated manor house and there's a big storm and so you know that it's one of these eight people there in the house that's responsible but you don't know who so there's a lot of overlap between these classic uh mystery tradition um tropes but um but they are technically separate if you want to get technical about it uh, i always think it's wonderful when a novel inspires a reader to learn more about a subject so for anyone who reads under lock and skeleton key and wants to learn more about locked room mysteries or closed circle mysteries or these, these other classic uh, uh types where would you suggest that they start um, so there's actually there, I am so thrilled that there is so much of a new renewed interest in this subgenre. So lots of people are writing about it now. And so there's, I've published several essays online on sites like Crime Reads and the Ellery Queen Mystery Magazine blog, and as have other authors. And so if you just even um, do a search online, you can find lots of essays that are kind of like starter guides and recommending lots of authors, because otherwise, Alexia, I could talk about my recommendations (laughs) for this whole podcast. So I will just give you a couple right now. Um, So my favorite who really inspired me to write in this genre is John Dixon Carr, who I think most people will have heard of, but he is really the, the master of the locked room mystery. And he's really there was other people doing it during the golden age of detective fiction, but he was so great at it because of um, that. He wrote ingenious uh, puzzle plots that were locked room mysteries that really looked impossible, but also because of how he set the scene with a Gothic atmosphere and Gothic is the thing I know that, that you and I share uh, that, that we love. And so he was so great at creating that Gothic atmosphere. So it's really this, Um, it draws you in and you think that there might be curses or ghostly explanations in in some way, but really he brings it back to a rational explanation. So that's really something that I try to do in my own locked room mysteries because puzzles are great, but if they're only a puzzle, then they, they fall flat. That to me, some people love things if they're only a puzzle, but for me, I want that whole mysterious world created around the puzzle. And so I really try to bring that, that God 
gothic atmosphere there too. Um, and that's one thing that I did a lot in, in the new novel. And, and so I'm, I'm taking it that the uh, family curse that you allude to is, is your gothic uh, tributes. Yes. Yes. And, and also the fact that there's uh, there's um, architecture is such a, a central part of it too. And so I love, I, I love all of those um, mystery, those closed circle mysteries where you are at this isolated estate. And so in the book, there's two really important um, homes that are interesting houses, one historical home where the murder takes place and also Tempest's own family home because she's um, recently, um, her stage show was sabotaged and her career ruined. So she's moved home to figure out what to do with her life but she has a wonderful home to move back to because her family business is secret staircase construction. Um, and so her dad is a carpenter and her mom was a stage magician. So one of the first lines that I ever thought of for the book was what happens when a carpenter and a stage magician fall in love, they uh, start a business to build magic into people's homes and so that's what secret staircase construction does is build sliding bookcases and secret rooms and hidden gardens and all sorts of mysterious things into homes. So at Tempest's own home that she grew up in, she has a secret staircase that leads to her bedroom. And there's all sorts of secret nooks and crannies through the fireplace and through the grandfather clock and all sorts of things like that. So it was really uh, fun architectural details to build in there. I was one of those kids who would read about somebody having a, a secret staircase or a secret garden or a priest hole or a hidden tunnel and actually want one myself. And um, even though I'm, I'm grown, I still kind of want one. Yes. Uh, <laughs> did any real life uh, houses with the secret staircases or priest holes or hidden tunnels serve as inspiration when you were writing? Um, there wasn't one particular house, but this was the book that, since I mentioned that this was a book that took me a long time to figure out how to write. Um, and the reason was, is because I started working on the book at my 40th birthday writing retreat that I took my writers group on a big birthday celebration. I rented out a flat in Edinburgh, Scotland and invited my writers group to come because I had um, a couple years before I had been through a whole year of cancer treatments and chemotherapy. And that was, I was a wreck at that time. And my writer's group really got me through that. And they were some of the people that, that really bolstered me through that time. So I promised myself and them that as a couple years later for my 40th birthday celebration, that I would take us all to Edinburgh and we'd have a grand writing retreat. And so that's when I started working on this book. And I didn't yet know how to tell Tempest's story yet, but I really wanted to throw in all of the elements that I loved. And so the architectural details came from the fact that when I was a little kid, I never liked playing with dolls or anything like that but I loved building houses. And so I, I built like all sorts of little houses out of all sorts of different things, like from dominoes and blocks and all sorts of different things. Cause when I was really little, I was going to, you know, be an architect. And so I would build all sorts of whimsical homes then. And then when I got older, I've always loved 
just visiting different things like castles and closer to home in California, the, the Winchester mystery house and things like that. So it wasn't one particular um, place that inspired that, but it was more just the idea of loving that. But so I, I tried in that first draft of the novel to throw in all of the ideas I love because I was like, I survived cancer and I'm going to, you know, like, right, this is the book that's going to have all the things that I wanted to write in it. And uh, so it took me a while to figure out how to tell the story without being all over the place, but just really hone in on the key elements that I wanted to tell and that Tempest could um, have as her story. So one thing about Tempest that I find fascinating is that she's a professional magician um and i confess i can only name a handful of magicians like uh robert Houdin, harry houdini and carrie blackstone harry anderson a lot of harry's uh david copperfield <laughs> david blaine and they're actually honestly they're they're all white men and most of them are no longer with us um it, there aren't a whole lot of women in professional magic um or people of color so what inspired you to choose that as a profession for an Asian woman? And also, who are some female magicians and magicians of color that I really need to go educate myself about? Um, so there are, I got into magic, first of all, through mystery fiction, as opposed to magicians themselves. But I'm now a huge fan of stage magic as well. But one of the things that in uh, classic locked room mysteries, there are so many magician characters because of the same thing that that I love creating, you know, like seeing through that misdirection. And so magicians are just natural characters to um, solve mysteries because they create misdirection. And so that's what my first magician character in fiction uh, was Sanjay from the Jaya Jones series. And he's also a really big uh, side character in the new Secret Staircase Mysteries because he was, Tempest was uh, his magician friend from that. So I brought him over into the new series and I, I just love writing him. He's so much fun. But so I, I first got really into the idea of magic when I was reading those mysteries. And so it was then only when I was older that I got um, into going to magic shows and learning the type of magic that I like. And it's still classic type of magic that is my favorite. But there's a, there's a few folks, um, Carissa Hendricks, is a fantastic magician who performs now. And I had the opportunity to see her a couple years ago. Her stage persona is Lucy Darling. And she dresses up in costume and has this whole fabulous stage show that she does. So she is one woman performing magic today who is absolutely fantastic. There is local to me in the, the Bay Area, um, David Harada, um, who's an Asian American magician who does um, a, he's a Japanese American and he does uh, shows that actually involve lots of Japanese history. And so that's a really interesting angle in his magic. Um, and probably yeah, there's there's lots of magicians right now, but those are the two, I think, who I will um, mention there. But there are lots of 
magicians I try to um, whenever I go down to Los Angeles to go to the Magic Castle because there's always there is lots of exciting things happening in magic now. And it is still not an especially diverse profession, but that is changing a lot now. The Internet is enabling lots more people to not feel excluded from doing it. And so because it is such a cool thing that, you know, people who are interested in it are now able to break in more than in the past. So I think things just like in mystery fiction, how things are changing now, I think the same is happening in magic. Well, hopefully people will read about Tempest and say, hey, you know, I could do that too. would they would they call themselves a magician or an illusionist? I know that the two terms are used, and I don't know if they're used inter- interchangeably or if there's a difference between the two. You know, so I think it's just what people would like to consider themselves doing. And there are lots of new things happening, too, that are so there's something also called cardistry that's not exactly magic, but that uses lots of the same uh, type of sleight of hand. And so cardistry is more that you're not doing a, a trick for someone, but that you're doing very elaborate sleight of hand maneuver with cards that are just so beautiful and impressive. But so I don't know, I think some people consider that magic and some people don't. Um, and there's also differences between close-up magic that you're doing versus bigger stage magic, which is more of like an illusionist if you have more of an elaborate setup. And so that's more of the distinction, but I think different people will also consider themselves different things. Close-up magic is like the the kind where you might, a magician might come up to you on the the boardwalk or something and do a a little trick with the, the crowd right there. Right, right. Or if it, yeah, something that you can see. So you're right there in front of them, or if you're there with them, like at the bar and they put, you know, cards on the table right there in front of you and you can see their hands and see exactly what they're doing very close up versus if you're sitting in the audience um, watching the stage from afar. But the, 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 the concepts behind, even though those things are very different, the concepts behind them um, are the same because you're, you're still just using misdirection to um, direct people. And yeah, it's really fascinating to me how that works. I'm, I'm always uh, fascinated and delighted to hear about the, you know, sort of a research that authors have done into uh, the various things that work their way into their books. Uh, so you, uh, you, you've told us about the, uh, your experience with, with magic and illusion and with uh, architecture and hidden places. The other thing I'd like to know about is, is food um, because you're a chef. I see your creations posted on social <laughs> media and then you have recipe cards to go along with a lot of the dishes in the accidental alchemist series. So does, does food play a role in the secret staircase series? Yeah. So that was another thing that was a, a post cancer thing for me that I, I have always been a huge fan of food and um, grew up eating food from around the world. And, um, my dad is from South India and, um, I, I did a lot of traveling. The parents were both anthropologists before retiring. So, um, just being able to eat food everywhere that we went in the world and coming to appreciate that. But I never 
was a cook myself until I ended up with some food restrictions, but wanted to continue eating well. And so I started taking cooking classes and learning to cook from scratch. And so that was um, 11 years ago now that I've been doing that. And so I love cooking and figuring out how to make amazing foods that are also healthy and that don't have the things in them that I can't eat. And so um, I, I love incorporating my love of food into my books. And so in the secret staircase mysteries, just like my accidental alchemist mysteries, I do have recipes in the back of the book and lots of the discussion of food and I also have recipe cards that are going to be a handout to go with the book when I go um, to book events. And some bookstores will also have them um, as a giveaway um, along with the book uh, if you pre-order the book. And so it's Tempest's grandfather who is the, the chef in this series. And so he is from a family of magicians in South India. And he left for after family tragedy, he left for Scotland for um, to go to medical school. And so that's where he met Tempest's grandmother, who's Scottish. And so his food that he cooks is like fusion food that incorporates South Indian food and Scottish food. And now he's living in California in a, in this elaborate tree house in Tempest backyard. And so also California cuisine. And so there's lots of um, fusion food in the book and in the recipes. And because that's one of the things that I love experimenting with myself and they are all our plant-based um, foods as well. And, uh... Uh, what are, are some of the uh, uh, types of dishes that uh, readers can look forward to vicariously enjoying? Um, well, and also can make themselves. I have uh, the recipes in the back of this book are cardamom shortbread uh, cookies. And then mm -hmm. I also have a mashup recipe that's based on vindaloo, which is a combination of Indian and Portuguese and British that I have my own take on that. So there's a vindaloo sauce and some vinegar potatoes. And um, so those are just a couple of the things. I always like to have both a sweet and a savory dish. When I have to give a copy to a, I wanted to find a friend who cooks, give them a copy of your <laughs> book and then as payback, they'll have to make the recipes for me. I try to make them easy too. So that's one thing too, that I always overthink which recipes to include in the books and on recipe cards and on my website, because I want food, I want great food to be accessible. And so I don't want it to be, even though now I occasionally take on making complicated recipes myself, my day-to-day uh, -day cooking, because I do cook every day, I, I want things to be both delicious and healthy and easy to make. So I, I try to do, make all of those three things possible in the, in the recipes that I share, because I do want them to be easy. So I hope you will, will try making the recipes, Alexia. You also have the, the vindaloo. I, I admit ba baking, you actually have to pay attention to what you're doing. It's true. Baking took me, it took me a lot longer to get into baking than cooking because you do have to do those precise measurements. Um, but I'm, I'm a convert since, since the pandemic started, I'm a convert to making sourdough bread. And now it's, it's super easy. 
after the first, I think it did take like five times, you know, and now it's super easy. So I've, I've been enjoying the adventures of your sourdough starter. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> I almost killed it because I, I got so busy with my last book deadline that I wasn't I wasn't paying attention and we were eating other foods. And so I hadn't been baking bread regularly. And then I realized I really needed to feed the starter. So it took an extra day to come back. I had to feed it for two days as opposed to one to get it to come back to life. But now I have super tasty sourdough again. But this sounds like the perfect thing for a mystery writer, uh, uh, not killing her sourdough starter. It's like only kill your characters, not your sourdough. Yes, exactly. <laughs> now, between cooking and writing and studying magic and architecture, I don't know where you find time, but you also write short stories as well as novels, as you mentioned. And I'm going to mention, uh, because you haven't yet, that you were nominated for an Edgar and an Agatha for the Locked Room Library. So congratulations on that. Thank you. <laughs> and how do you, But how do you balance short story writing with novel writing? Because they are very different art forms. And uh, to, I've, I've written two short stories and it was very different than writing a novel. So how, how do you balance the two and how do your approaches differ? Yeah, so that is a really interesting question and one that I didn't used to have an answer for, but um, I realized when I was first asked to um, teach a workshop on short stories several years ago, that I actually do have a little bit of a different approach to short story writing than most other short story writers I know. For me, the thing that that works for a story is I can't, I, I hate that I can't say yes to all of the, the um, anthologies and invitations and things that I would like to be able to, but I don't know if I can ever write a short story on demand because it is so different to me. Like I really need to have the twist ending of the story before I can start writing a story because all of the short stories that I like to write are locked room mysteries. And so I didn't attempt to write a locked room mystery novel for um, many, many years into my writing career but the first successful short story that I ever wrote was a locked room mystery story. And it really, that um, locked room mysteries really naturally lend themselves to short stories because that the trick basically of how the impossible crime was done is so central to it. And so in a short story, you can really keep up that momentum. It's a lot harder to do in a novel and also keep that misdirection going. And so you're still having the fair play clues presented, but that it's all that the reader isn't guessing, but that it's also satisfying at the end. And so it, it is a form that lends itself to short stories. And so I've never written a successful short story that isn't a locked room puzzle. And so I never know if I'll be able to write a story until I have that puzzle figured out. So I actually have a notebook filled with lots of story ideas that aren't quite there, but I think might work. And so I, I have them sitting there, but one story was from, I think it was 
2014. So I guess that's eight years ago now that I still have not figured like I see, I know I just want my subconscious to figure out what, what it is that's there because I almost have a really great story, but it's just not, it's just not there yet. And it's been sitting there for eight years. And one day I promise I will figure it out, but it just hasn't come to me yet. And so I know, so I know my take on short stories is a lot different than other people's, but I can't just sit down and write some interesting characters in a mystery because the thing that I find so satisfying in writing short stories is if I have that impossible crime twist solution that's satisfying there at the end. And so there are um, lots of things that I've started ideas of that haven't come together, but only when that idea comes together, then I can actually write the story very quickly once I know that. So it's more like a, it's the, so the stories are more like a subconscious process that I'll write down little notes and ideas I have. And then at some point it'll click in my mind and then writing it is, does come quickly. So the stories in a sense are a combination of a very long process, but that's not hands-on. And then the writing happens very quickly. Well, it, it, Obviously, your story has clicked with a lot of people because you, you're nominated for two awards for it. And um, it's also uh, wonderful that your uh, under lock and skeleton key under lock and skeleton key uh, clicks because I'm sure it's going to end up being nominated for awards as well. Uh, so, where can readers buy a copy uh, so they can they can read it now uh, in in preparation for the next award season? Oh, well, thank you. That is very nice of you to say. And it, I mean, I, it, I am getting, so as the two of us are chatting, the book hasn't uh, quite been released yet, but I think that this is going to come out right around the time that it actually is out. But so right now I'm just starting to see the advanced reviews. And so it, it just got a starred review from Publishers Weekly um, and a great review from, thank you, and a great review from Library Journal. So, so that is very exciting because now is the time that I'm nervous that after all of these years thinking about the book, <laughs> that it's finally out. Um, but um, so the um, folks can go to my website, which is ggpondian.com. Um, and there are links to buy the book there. And it's also any of your, any retailer or bookseller that you would like to buy the book, um, you can, you can go directly there. And it's um, under lock and skeleton key, the first secret staircase mystery. And I think it's listed on Amazon with the release date of March 15th. Is that still? Yes. Yep. That's correct. And where can readers besides your website, where can they connect with you? Like say they want to see some of the, uh, your pictures of your, your, your still living sourdough bread. (laughs) Yes. So actually I am, um, I am on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. I am, since I have my unique name, I'm just at Gigi Pondian everywhere. Um, but also the, the best way I'm, I'm just sporadically on social media, because as you mentioned, I am trying to juggle so much. And so I am always make sure that I get my writing done before I even go online at all for the day. Um, and so, um, I'm, I love social media when I have time to go there and interact with folks, but the the best way to stay in touch with me regularly is my email newsletter, which also is on my website. You can just find it there and sign up for the email newsletter. And you release that 
once a... So I was on a once a month schedule, but then um, I've heard from lots of readers that also, so I will also send um, additional emails if there's something like an additional giveaway. And I know like the publisher has done things like Goodreads giveaways for advanced copies of this book. So I will also send little notifications if there's other fun things like that. And I do also try to include um, recipes and photos and other updates. And I am, I'm also doing several events for the book that are coming up in March and later this spring that are both virtual and a few in-person events as well that I'm cautiously optimistic about. So I have all of that on my website and in my email newsletter as well. You can get the newsletter and the book and, and the short stories and just read about all of your, your uh, wonderful uh, locked room uh, impossible crimes uh, and some good food to eat while you're, while you're reading. And I am going to hold you to it to try some of the recipes. You can do it. I will. I promise. I, 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 will, I, will, try, I will try the vindaloo. I can probably do that. Yeah. No, it's a good sauce. And my version, it doesn't, you don't, that dish can be complicated to make. So I did like the simplified version that I have a vinegar roasted potatoes and then the vindaloo sauce, but the sauce can go on all sorts of things. My husband actually has started using it as a sandwich spread to have like a little spicy spread on the bread. So it's versatile. Okay. Now I'm gonna, if, you, if you see me like hiding around corners, dodging from you, that'll just mean I haven't tried the recipe yet. <laughs> That's okay. I'll give you, I'll give you recipe cards that have even easier ones because I didn't have much space on the recipe cards. So those ones have to be very easy. (laughs) Well, that, that, that gives me something in addition to uh, reading your book uh, that gives me something to look forward to. So thank you for joining me again, Gigi. It's always a pleasure to have you on the show. Yes, it was so great chatting. Thanks so much for having me. And thank you listeners for tuning in to another episode of the Cozy Corner with Alexia Gordon. My guest today was Gigi Pandi, an author of Under Lock and Skeleton Key, the first secret staircase mystery. I'm Alexia Gordon, your host. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to the Cozy Corner with Alexia Gordon part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. I'm Alexia Gordon, award-winning author and host of the show. Tune in next time for another chat with an author writing on the lighter side of crime. Until then, goodbye. Goodbye.